Welcome to Veritas. For those of you who I have yet to have the pleasure to meet, uh, my name is Justin. I have been on staff with Veritas for uh, a little less than um, two years now, and, and I wanted to share just a little bit more about myself so that you guys know me. Um, and the thing I decided to share is that, admittedly, I am a huge people pleaser. Um, now, for some reason, I, I tend to care far too much about what other people think and, and I tend to make way too many decisions in my life based on what I think other people want. Um, to give you guys kind of an example of what this looks like in my life, I want to kind of explain uh, my wardrobe and what my wardrobe looked like starting in high school. Um, so I went to high school in a really small town. And the cool thing that everybody wore um, was buckle. Uh, I don't know if any of you know what the brand Buckle is. Um, there's a shirt that would be like a shirt that I would have worn. Uh, there's also a pair of jeans. Um, this, was, this was my style. This was my uh, fashion in high school. Uh, Buckle's really into the stitching. So the jeans it's, and the shirts, it's all about the stitching. It's got to have the big stitches so you can see each individual stitch. Um, I don't actually know why. But that was what people wore in high school, and so that's what I wore, and that's what I did to fit in. Um, I was wearing what I thought other people wanted me to wear. So I come to college, I come to Mizzou, and my freshman year, I join a fraternity. And I don't know if I need to say this, but not a lot of guys in fraternities wear clothes from Buckle. You can laugh. It's okay. I'm laughing at myself. Um, they don't. In fact, in my pledge class, I was the only one in my house. There was one other guy, and so it was very obvious who had gotten clothes at Buckle. Um, not good obvious, but obvious. Um, so I decided, man, I, I really hate sticking out, so I'm going to stop wearing the clothes that I had from Buckle. Completely just, just stopped. Stopped wearing them. And then... Uh, to make things better, I decided um, that I was going to get new clothes. So that year, um, for Christmas, I got uh, two polo button-ups, I got a pair of Sperry's, and I got a pair of mustard yellow khakis. Um, this, <laughs> this is what I thought, along with my mom, thought is what I needed to uh, fit in, to, to blend in. Um, with my friends in the fraternity. So that's, that's what I got. Um, and, you know, I had more clothes than this, but this was the general theme. Um, and then it was around, around my junior year, sophomore, junior year, I, I started coming to Veritas more. Um, I started hanging out with uh, people from Veritas. Uh, I moved out of the fraternity house. I moved in with a friend who was also a Christian, um, trying to grow in his faith. And, and I realized once again that my wardrobe did not, what I thought, match the people that I was hanging out with. I wasn't wearing what they were wearing. And so I thought to fit in more, I needed to make a change again. So, so obviously, um, I make a change and I go out and what do I buy? I buy Chacos and I buy an Eno. <laughs> Eno's obviously not wardrobe, but 
that was what I did. I bought Chacos and I bought Nino. Um, I was so excited that I actually posted uh, about my Chacos. Um, and I was pumped. Well, it doesn't help that very shortly after I posted this, my roommate posted this picture, and it completely overshadowed my post. So nobody thought I was cool and I was fun anymore because my roommate was the funny one now, and he was making fun of me. Um, no, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with any of these styles of, of dressing, right? We can, we can all choose to dress the way we want. That's that's not my point. Um, my point is that at the heart of all these decisions was my personal desire um, to care about what people thought of me and, and to make my decisions based on that. I was making choices for others and not for myself. And in other areas of my life, I was making choices for others and not for God. You see, the problem is, is that if I'm honest with myself, I sometimes care more about people-pleasing. I care more about making my friends happy and fitting in than being faithful to God. Um, Maybe this is something that some of you guys can relate to. Um, And this is what we're going to be talking about tonight. So last week, Kyle left us off, um, and he reminded us that Israel, they wanted a king, right? Israel wanted to be like the other nations, And the way they thought they could be like other nations was by having a king. And so tonight we're actually going to look at Israel's first king. It's a guy named Samuel. Or a guy named Saul. I'm sorry. And unfortunately for Saul, um, he doesn't live up to the expectations of the Israelites. And that's because he values the opinion of others, of Israel, the people of Israel, over God. You know, just like many of us in here tonight, Saul cares more about people-pleasing than being faithful to God. But the thing is, is that Saul should have known better. You know, Saul knew what being faithful to God looked like. He knew the kind of king that he was supposed to be. You say, how do we know that? Well, back in Deuteronomy 17, God is speaking to Moses. And he tells Moses what the future king of Israel is supposed to be like. In these verses, he tells him that this king, Israel's king, is several things. He's first, he is appointed, or he's chosen by God. He is an Israelite, so he is a man of God's people. Um, He is not to be a king that is ruling for himself. He is not to gain uh, wealth through livestock or silver or gold throughout his reign. Deuteronomy 17 then goes on to say that he's supposed to write down and study the Old Testament law given by God every single day. And the point of this being, we're going to pick it up, verses 19 and 20 tell us. Deuteronomy 17, verse 19 and 20. So that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brother, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left. So this king, this king that I described is a king that is first and foremost obedient and faithful to God. He's trusting God above all else, and he's living a life that's devoted to God. And if he follows these commands, if he obeys these commands given by God, 
Scripture tells us that he will continue for a long time as Israel's king. So if we, if we fast forward uh, back to Saul's day, I want us to spend our time looking and seeing what kind of king Saul actually was. So we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go to 1 Samuel 10, um, we're going to read verses 17 through 24. And they say, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. So Samuel brings the entire nation, all of God's people of Israel together to announce their new king to them. And, and from these verses, what do, we, what do we see about Saul? Well, simply enough, we see that he's an Israelite, an Israelite, correct? We see that he's tall, but he's not just tall, he's actually a head taller than any other Israelite. Anyone else that there, that's there, he's a head taller than them. Um, if we would look in the beginning of chapter 9, we would see that it says he's also handsome. In fact, he was the most handsome man among the people of Israel. So we have the tallest and the most handsome Israelite that there is, chosen by God to be God's king over God's people. And yet, it's, it's kind of ironic and unexpected that when Samuel calls him to come forward, Samuel calls Saul to come forward in front of the people, what, what is he doing? Well, verse 22 says that he was hidden among the supplies. You know, another translation says that he's hidden among the baggage. So all these people have come and they've brought all this stuff with them and he's hiding in the baggage. Saul, the new king... The new chosen king of Israel, the tallest, most handsome guy, is hiding in the baggage when he is called out by Samuel. And I, I don't think this is what you and I or the Israelites would imagine when they're getting their new king, right? They didn't expect him to be hiding. Um, to, to compare it to something similar, you know, think about the presidential inaugural address. You know, every four years... We, we come together, the country comes together to listen, to watch the inauguration of our new president, right? So here's a picture from the National Mall um, a few years ago for people there attending the presidential inauguration. It was estimated in this picture that 1.8 million people attended the event. And, and what happens at this event? Well, the, the president-elect comes out, you know, he greets people, 
he thanks people. There's a whole bunch of famous people, and he gives his speech of, you know, his intentions for his time in office, what he wants his time in office to be like. You know, this, this president-elect, he's strong, he's confident, he's eager for what the next four years have in store, right? Now, imagine if, if all this was happening, if we're waiting on our next president to come out to give his speech to greet the people, and you find out that he's hiding in the bathroom, right? Imagine if the president-to-be is, is hiding in the bathroom, and he's afraid to come out and to give this speech, like, people would go crazy, right? Like, people would be like, what, what is he doing? Like, we just elected this guy, and, and he can't even come out and give his speech. He's starting off on a horrible foot, right? And, and I think that this is similar to when Samuel was announcing Saul as Israel's first king. He asked him to come forward, but he's hiding in the baggage. So he's not starting off like we would expect him to, Right? Saul doesn't begin his kingship strong, powerful, and mighty. You know, he begins his kingship afraid. And, and as we continue, we're going to see that this isn't the last time that Saul proves that he's not a king like God calls him to be, like God shows us Israel needs in Deuteronomy 17. Um, so I want to pick up the story in chapter 15 when Samuel is giving Saul Uh, his first commands from God, his command as king of God's people. So 1 Samuel 15, verse 1 says this. It says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Now, I want to stop here real quick, and I want to clarify something. God commands Saul to to thoroughly and completely wipe out the Amalekites in verse 3. And when we read this, I think that it, it's easy for it to sound unjust and, and unbelievable. And I think it can be easy for us to get, get caught up on this verse and think, why would God allow this? But also, why would God command this? This isn't because God is a God of anger and wrath. No, it's actually because, like we've said all semester, God is a God of love, of justice, and of mercy. And it's hard for us to understand because this command, this command seems so brutal. But God's command here is actually more of the same that we've been talking about all semester. You see, the Amalekites were a wicked and terrible group. The Bible portrays them as terrorists who preyed on the weaker opponents, showing no regard for God. If we look at Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19, it says, 
<clears throat> God is talking to Moses again. He said, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you and the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under the sun. Do not forgive. You see, because of the Amalekites' opposition to him, God promised in Deuteronomy to completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. Now, God intends to use Saul. He's going to use him to fulfill this promise and to bring justice to the world and justice to his people. This comes from God's love and his care for his people, the people of Israel. And I, I think it's really important when we read this passage um, to know this. And I, I know that we could spend way more time than this on, on these few verses. Um, so if this is something you guys are struggling with or you have questions about, feel free to come talk to me after. Feel free to find a staff member after. Um, but the rest of the time tonight, I just want to focus our attention on, on what Saul does next, how Saul responds to this command given to him by God. Um, another thing to note before we continue reading is, is I want to preface this with saying this isn't a war like most wars are supposed to be, right? The, the intention with this war is not for Israel to gain wealth, to gain power, to gain dominance against other nations. No, this is to fulfill God's plan and seek justice in the world. Um, so let's continue reading in verse 7 and see what Saul does. Let's see how he responds to this command to thoroughly defeat the Amalekites. Verse 7, Then Samuel attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag with the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to com destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So what happens? Does, does Saul obey this command that he's given by God to destroy the Amalekites? Well, he, he defeated the Amalekites, which is true, but instead of completely destroying them, Saul and the Israelites, well, they only destroyed what they thought or they deemed was worthless to them. You know, everything that was of value, the best of the livestock, the king, all that was good, they chose to keep for themselves and bring it back with them. And, and I, I want to ask why. You know, why, why would Saul do this? Why would Saul choose to keep this stuff? And, and it's because Saul feared that, or, or maybe he told himself that if he told the soldiers no, if he told them that they couldn't bring back the livestock and, and everything that was good to them, then they wouldn't be happy with Saul. And if they wouldn't, weren't happy with Saul, this could turn and make them not approve of the way that Saul is ruling as their king, as the king of Israel. See, Saul cared more about people-pleasing than being faithful to God's command. Not to mention, Saul chose to bring back the king, so he brought back the king of the Amalekites with him, and this would have been a sort of 
Uh, it could have been like a battle trophy. You know, Saul's going to bring back this king, and he's going to parade around with him, and it's going to show his power and his dominance. It's going to show how great and how victorious he is as king. And, and that's the type of king that Saul thought the people wanted. You know, and I think this once again, it shows us that Saul cares more about pleasing the people of Israel than being faithful to God. Now, I know that it's, it's easy or it can be easy to read this and we, and we see how Saul clearly disobeyed God, right? And it can be easy to judge him, to think we're better than him. But if we really think about it, I mean, are we? Like, are we really better than Saul about making decisions centered around God? Or are we too worried too much about pleasing others? You know, when making decisions, do we ask ourselves, what does it look like to be faithful to God? Or do we ask ourselves, sometimes subconsciously, what do our friends want? You know, what do my family, what does my family want? You know, maybe we only ask ourselves, what do I want? Over asking what God wants. You know, what are the times when you are in a group and you're joking around and you put someone down or you have a slight jab at them? You know, are you doing that because you want to fit into the group more? Or are you doing that because you want to be seen as funny or cool or, you know, the jokester in the group? You know, are you thinking about the person's feelings when you say that? Are you thinking um, about how that affects them? You know, or maybe for some of you, it's, it's putting yourself down in the group. Maybe it's, it's making the joke about yourself so that people think you're funny so that nobody makes the joke um, about you. You know, I know that a lot of you in here are looking for jobs. You're looking for internships. Um, for the summer, you're thinking about where you're going to be going, you know, what you're going to be doing for work, where you're going to live. You're thinking about the type of work that you're doing, you know. And when, when you're thinking about this, when you're making these decisions, is your first question when trying to make those decisions, how can I be faithful to God in this? Or are you more worried about making your parents happy? Are you more worried about getting a job that's as good as the one that your friend gets? Are you more worried about getting the job that will pay you the most? I don't know. And I, and I know that, that when we ask ourselves these questions, when we think about them, they're hard questions, right? They're, they're questions that are difficult to be honest with ourselves with. But I think that these are questions that we need to ask in order to fight to remain faithful to God. So we've seen Saul's disobedience to God, right? Now we'll see God has told Samuel what Saul has actually done. So God told Samuel what Saul has done, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13 when Samuel confronts Saul about his disobedience to God's command. So verse 13 says, When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought, back, brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. 
but we totally destroyed the rest. Saul sees Samuel, and, and what Saul say? He says, bless you, we did it. We won, we defeated the Amalekites. You know, we destroyed them. And, and what does Samuel do in response? Well, he responds with, oh yeah, what's, what's that sound that I hear? What are those animals? Where did those come from? And Saul says, oh yeah, the soldiers, the soldiers, they brought them back. They, they brought those back, but, but we totally destroyed everything else, right? Verse 16, enough, Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle for the, from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. We see in this conversation between Samuel and Saul that it starts to escalate, right? Samuel reminds Saul he was chosen. Saul was chosen as king over Israel. And as their king, you know, Israelites would have listened to the obeys or would have obeyed the commands that Saul gave them. So why did he not obey the Lord? Samuel asked him. But what Saul do? He continues to deny that what he did was actually wrong. You know, twice in those verses, we see Saul pointing a finger. He's blaming the soldiers, right, instead of taking the responsibility for himself. We see Saul blaming others instead of taking ownership for the mistakes that he made. Um, so I was, uh, I was talking with uh, a friend the other day, and she sent me um, this picture, actually, of her, her, her and her roommate's sink. Um, about a, yeah, it was about a week ago. To be honest, looking at it, I, I, I'm not sure what's clean and what's dirty. I'm just going to basically assume that it's all dirty. Um, but this friend of mine told me uh, that she came home and she, she saw these dishes, all these dishes piled up on the sink, and she, she blamed her roommates, right? She blamed her roommates for the mess before she even thought or took into consideration that some of the dishes were actually hers. You know, it was so easy for her to see the mess, to get angry, and to blame the roommates without thinking about how she had contributed to the mess. And, and I think that we can relate this picture, this story, to Saul, but also, also to ourselves. You know, we can look at the sin in our lives, and we can be so quick to blame others. You know, we blame those around us, and we don't take ownership over what we've done. You know, we, like Saul, blame others because we don't want to admit our faults, right? We don't want to admit our unfaithfulness. And if we um, continue reading the story, we would see the consequences of Saul's 
disobedience, his disobedience to God. We said in Deuteronomy 17 that if Israel's king was first and foremost obedient and faithful to God, then he would continue to be Israel's king for a long time. However, you know, as we've seen here tonight, this is, this is not the type of king that Saul was. And this actually leads to what Samuel has to say in verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul's fear, his disobedience, and his blame shifting, they all resulted in him being rejected as king. Well, why? Well, ultimately, it's because Saul cared more about pleasing the people of Israel than being faithful to God. You know, tonight we should learn from Saul, and we should realize that people-pleasing, it didn't work out for him, and it won't work out for us. You know, many of us in here, myself included, we're so worried, or, you know, we care so much about pleasing our friends, about pleasing our family, that we fail to remain faithful to God. We make decisions in which we're more worried about what someone else thinks or fitting into the group over living faithfully to God. You know, um, and I think that we can say that we're all more like Saul than we probably want to admit. But, and I want to leave you with this. The good news is, the positive side of this is, is that for Israel and for us, we know that this story, it doesn't end here, right? We know that Israel's perfect king, he does come, and his name is Jesus. We know that unlike Saul, Jesus is the king that Israel needed. You know, unlike Saul's disobedience and unlike Saul's unfaithfulness to God, Jesus was fully obedient and Jesus was fully faithful. In the face of temptation, Jesus remained faithful. Even when he said, Lord, take this cup from me, Jesus still faithfully trusted God's plan. And Jesus showed his ultimate obedience with his death on the cross. You see, Jesus is like the king we see in Deuteronomy 17. He is the king that Israel needed, and Jesus is the king that we need. That's why tonight we need to come to God. We need to come to God with our sins, with the ways that we care more about pleasing those around us than being faithful to him. We need to ask God for forgiveness and guidance to lead our hearts, to choose him, to choose God, to be faithful to him each and every day of our life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come here tonight admitting that we too are like Saul. God, we admit that far too often we look to please others and we look to make our decisions based on what we think others want and God, not what you want. And so God, I pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we turn to others and not to you. 
And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us, that you would guide us this week in everything that we do. Guide us this semester in the decisions that we make to remain faithful to you, God, to trust in you and to give our lives to you. God, we do this because we know that you have a greater plan for our lives. And God, we pray all this in your name. Amen.